is putting the consistent effort into sales and marketing, despite the fact that the results are going to like this, right? Like if you put in persist consistent effort on paint on like the production, you'll see the house get painted, you know, but you can put in consistent effort on sales and marketing and you'll have some ones up and down. Welcome to the painter growth podcast, where we help you scale your painting company in record time. Join us as we explore sales, marketing, hiring, finances, leadership, and more, everything that you need to know to scale and grow your painting business. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Mike Hickman here, founder of PainterGrowth.com, and you're listening or watching another episode of the Painter Growth Podcast. And today, I have a friend I've known for over a decade. Uh, Chris Wolf, um, he, he, he's been running a painting company or he had run a painting company for almost uh, about 10 years and uh, then went into roofing and then uh, opened up his own general contracting business. And today we're going to talk about sales, why that's the most important thing, and hopefully give you guys some tips that you can take away to increase your own sales. So, hey, Chris. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on today. I'm really excited to yeah. be here. Man, so, so glad to uh, finally connect. I know we've been trying to get you on here for a little while. So just, um, I guess before we jump too much into it, just give me a quick background. Um, what did, what were kind of, what was your painting uh, experience like and why did you decide to pivot into roofing in DC? Ah, okay. Well, um, I started painting houses at 20 years old. I needed a summer job, got recruited, uh, literally lowest role, you know, on the totem pole. I was just a a grunt, you know, moving the ladders, doing the prep, all that kind of stuff. I uh, worked my way up to crew lead that first summer, you know, made my fair share of mistakes. And then um, I ended up getting into the same franchise, obviously, that you did. I don't know how much your listeners know about co good old college pro painters. Yep. Those were the days, right? Um, and I, I loved painting, honestly. I love, I stuck with it for a very long time. Uh, and I just got to a point in my career where I love construction and I just started kind of getting curious about what else was out there. Roofing, you know, siding decks. And what I realized is that all those things still came back to painting every time. So really I've been painting houses for, you know, better part of almost two decades now. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of paint. You know, that's a long time painting. And then, so you painted for, for quite some time. What were your, I guess, what was like your favorite part about just running a painting business in general? Cause you did it for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, it's still finishing the project, right? You know, sometime in like the mid to late summer and it's like Thursday or Friday afternoon and you roll up to a job site and your guys are just finishing the last touch-ups and the sun's hitting the house, right? And the customers are just stoked. And they're like, thank you so much, Chris. The house looks great. Your crew is amazing. You know, this, you know, that feeling right there is just like, yep. you know, <laughs> so that was like always my favorite part. Um, and now what I've learned as I've gotten more into the other trades is, you know, painting is really like the finish. Right. And so for me, uh, like there's a lot of contractors, right. Who don't know how to paint or don't want to paint because they don't know how to make it look pretty. And so that's really what now that I like over time, what's evolved for me is just loving that like finished product. I'm like, yes, now it's done. Mm -hmm. And so your business, you got to a point, you had production managers, sales reps, like what, what kind of business structure did you have like at when, when it was at its largest? Yeah. So we were doing probably 120 paint jobs a summer um, at my absolute peak when I was only focused on painting. Yeah. Uh, two production managers, right? We had a pretty clear rule. Every job site gets inspected every day before noon. 
If anyone who's ever had a paint crew screw something up while they were being unattended, you know that pain, right? You show up on Wednesday and they've been screwing it up on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday morning. And you're like, oh, no, what do I what's happened here? Right. So I, I as I scaled, that was my first real big mistake was quality control. And so I made a very, very hard and fast rule really early on that either myself or a project manager had to inspect every job site with every crew every day by noon. And if you had too many crews, then you either needed less crews or more project managers. Um, and then sales, sales is a little bit easier to scale, right? Cause once someone knows what they're doing, it's pretty minimal, you know, actual financial investment from a company perspective, a little bit more on like the time. Right. Um, so that was kind of, I'd say easier for me at least, but the, uh, the production scaling was definitely the harder part. So on the production scaling, what was your, what was your like house from hell? What was the one that like changed your life? I don't know which one do you want to hear about? How much time do we have? I don't know how much the, the listeners came to your mind. The first, first one that came to your mind, that one. Yeah, the first one that came to my mind is the one that like was the catalyst for that. Every job has to be uh, inspected every day before noon because I had some guys on a job. I thought it was pretty straightforward. I thought they knew what they were doing. Um, I was busy putting out fires in other places, right? And I show up a couple days into the job. There's overspray on everything. All the light fixtures had to be replaced, right? There's overspray on all this like concrete and masonry. You know, there's like mist spots all over the place. The sprayer wasn't working. They didn't know what to do. They didn't call anybody. They just kept messing with the sprayer and it just got worse and worse, right? This customer, you know, I feel like a lot of times like your worst projects happen with the worst customers, right? Like the ones that are just completely unforgiving, not patient at all. Like, I can't believe you guys did this. What were they thinking? You know, all that sort of fact, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like, so, and it was a one story house, dude. Like this was not a hard house and we just butchered it so badly. And I just feel like the guys just needed someone there. Just need someone there. Be like, Hey, Make sure you put plastic on this. Hey, let me help you with the sprayer. You know, check in with the customer. Oh, oh, we shouldn't park there. Okay, I'll tell the guys right now, right? It's like simple, simple little things that if a management person had just been there, no, none of the problems would have happened. Yeah. So you got that figured out. Um, lesson learned, right? Yeah. I mean, it and took then- me some years. I screwed it up a few times, right? But eventually, as we were scaling bigger and bigger, I was like, I can't have all my crews doing this all the time. Let's well, like, you know, the a, a clear argument for as you kind of grow how important uh, SOPs are and, op- and operating procedures. And you said something intriguing a little bit earlier. You said scaling sales was relatively easy um, versus production. Now, I know a lot of painting, painting contractors and business owners that would argue and say, you know, scaling production is pretty easy. Scaling sales is really hard. So what steps did you take from growing your uh, sales organization from like you or one sales rep to, you know, to booking that like 150, 200 K a month? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple pieces of it, right? So there's like the leads and then the sales, right? You have to have both. Yep. Um, but the overarching theme uh, uh, for either one sales and marketing is repeatable process, repeatable process that you work over and over and over again. Right. Just like when you're painting a house. Right. 
some days are faster, some days are slower, but you show up to the job site every day and you work your whole time. And some days you're just cruising, you're spraying out, right? And everything's getting done. It looks so good and no touch-ups and you're moving, right? And other days you're working your butt off, but it's like the ladder breaks or you break a window or somebody forgot something at home and you just feel like you can't get into a flow, right? But like you still put in the work every day, right? It's the same thing with sales and marketing. You have a process, you have a pattern, you have action steps, you do them over and over again every week, every day, every week, every month, keep it moving. Sometimes you'll have a big week, you'll book like six, seven, 10 jobs and you're like, oh my God, it's the best week ever, right? Some weeks you'll do all these appointments, you'll bust your butt the whole week and you won't book anything, right? Um, but that's, you know, so I think, I think that's probably what, in my experience working with other contractors, most people struggle with is putting the consistent effort into sales and marketing, despite the fact that the results are going to go like this, right? Like if you put in consistent effort on paint on like the production, you'll see the house get painted, you know, but you can put in consistent effort on sales and marketing and you'll have some ums up and down, right? So yes, that's why it's important to look at aggregate data as well, right? Not like how did your fi last five estimates go, but what was the, what was your closing rate over the last 50 estimates? And then you got a better picture, you know, removing those spikes and, and valleys. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, for me, I generally look at it like in the season, which can be a little bit small sample size at the beginning of the year, you know, January, February, right? But by March or April, you should probably be looking at season long numbers to see where your trends are for your business. Yeah, I think I think season long numbers definitely have a role. Um, but also you need to look at I would say I would say for sales rate, no less than like two weeks at a time. You know, if you're doing like 10 to 20 estimates in that time, you don't want you know, just to see if you're doing something different, right? Because in sales, you can get into a slump and you can stop doing some things like, oh, I'm all of a sudden not closing well. Okay, well, let's look, what am I doing? What am I not doing now that I used to do it? And maybe, oh, you know, my, my sales assistant isn't doing setup calls anymore. And okay, well, now we can fix that. And that should help remedy the sales uh, issue. Right. Well, and that's where the process is really important because we're all going to have peaks and valleys of like our results and our intentionality and how we show up. But then it's like, oh, so, you know, pre-calls aren't happening at all. Oh, that's part of our process and it's not happening. Right. So having the process, I think, is number one. Um, and then number two, I think, in terms of like scaling sales, right, is finding people um, that want to eat what they kill. You know, it is a different mindset. Um, there's a lot of people in construction and in life, right. They want a regular paycheck and they're going to, you know, show up for the same work every week. And they want to get their regular paycheck every week. Those people can struggle in sales. Right. So it's like, um, kind of like good to great, right. You know, first who, and then what you got to find those right people to put on the bus and you can teach them how to sell a paint job. I mean, let's be honest. If everyone's listening to this, is all painters, right? Like we know, painting a house like especially like a residential project it's not rocket science there's some technical knowledge right but like you can learn how to sell a paint job relatively quickly if you care about showing up on time you are hungry for success right you're willing to put in the work you know you're willing to talk to people right like there's these if you find the right person you can teach them the technical skills pretty quickly especially if you then have a pretty standard process yeah there's kind of like three fun three like sections of skills for a sales rep, I would say like number one would be like the fundamentals, right? Can they show up on time? Are they, you know, do they do they present themselves well? Uh, number two would be oh, the sales. Oh, hold on, hold on. That's so important because we consider that such a baseline requirement. 
but how often in our industry is it insane that people are surprised that we show up on time? Yeah, we, like, we, we recommend uh, and we coached on like the one minute rule. So if you're running one minute late for an estimate, you should be calling the client and telling them that you're running one minute late. Yeah. And actually one of our guys, he started uh, systematically being two minutes late and calling the customer two minutes before and just, hey I'm, running, say, hey, I'm running two minutes late and building that into the sales process because it adds that extra level of, of that extra touch point and people are like, oh, this is, this is great. He's very timely. Yeah, like we don't understand. Like the true professionals, it's hard for us to fathom how far above the rest of the market that puts us when we do that. I remember when I was like 20 years old, right? Going to appointments and I was like, you know, young kid, no beard, no gray for sure, right? Feeling all peppy, like, oh, I'm competing against adults now. This is serious. I got to make sure I'm on time. And one time I had that, it's, it's funny you say the one minute rule. I had someone, I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. I got caught in a little bit of traffic. I'm going to be about three to four minutes late. That's what GPS is telling me, but I'm on the way. And I literally had this customer just like break out laughing. They were like, <laughs> okay, kid, see you four minutes after seven. No problem. <laughs> you know, or whatever time it was. Right. And yeah, it's so that like, I, you know, we talked about it and you kind of just like touched on it real quick. Like, absolutely. Holy cow. That is such a huge differentiator. It shouldn't be, but it is. Yeah. I mean, I got a quote for some plumbing uh, a couple weeks ago. And the the time frame for the quote was a three hour window. It's like we'll be there between three and six. Just like, a quote. Well, sorry, I'll just put my entire life on hold for three hours so you can come by at your convenience. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. I know it's your podcast. I'm sorry. I know that's poor. No, fun. man. This is this is about you really today. I wanted to emphasize that. That is huge. So I mean, there's yeah. So fundamentals number one figure out your own fundamentals before you can even considering someone else with with good fundamentals so showing up on time like what else would you say is is not necessarily like a an unspoken requirement but i mean they have to be spoken so what are these like low hanging fruit wins that people can implement in their sales process um like showing up exactly on time what are some yeah. other things that they can easily do show up on time both homeowners blanket rule you can go do an inspection with only one homeowner but you only present price to two homeowners and you know okay it's not gonna be perfect you can't do it a thousand percent of the time there's gonna be someone who's like well my wife is an, a corporate executive with exxon mobile and she's in saudi arabia for the next two months and you're like okay fine sure right whatever there's gonna be those cases but you know that's speaking from experience on that one uh, quick funny story on that one. I on my setup calls, I would always ask the client, um, are, you know, is your is your is there someone else involved in decision making? Do you have a wife? Do you have a husband? And I I was doing the setup call and this one guy uh this one time, he's like an older guy. I'm like, I just you know, just check in, is your wife gonna be available to be with us uh at the estimates so we can answer her questions? And I remember very distinctly he goes, I don't need my wife to decide if I'm gonna paint the house, I can make that decision myself. <laughs> I'm like, all right, dude. So I went and he was the only one there. And sure enough, he booked on the spot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not going to like argue with people to try to change their life view. Right. <laughs> but so, you know, in general though, right. As like a baseline rule, you show up on time, you make sure both homeowners are there. You brought up another one that I'm super passionate about the pre-call discovery call, setup call, pre-call, whatever kind of call you want to call it. It's got to happen. 
And mm-hmm. the one that drives me the most crazy, especially when people are talking about scaling, and they're like, oh, we have a call center or we have a receptionist and they're amazing. And they call and they schedule the appointment. And the salesperson shows up and it's great. You, I see you shaking your head right away, right? Yeah, so I know. I have, a, I have a funny, yeah, funny anecdote from that. Right. And everyone always thinks it's such a great idea. Here's the problem. That person called and it went like this. Hey, is this Bob? Yeah, this is Chris with um, MGH Painting. Uh, yeah, your appointment, 2 o'clock Thursday. Okay, our salesperson will be there. Bye. And they feel like they did something. And it's like, yeah, okay, technically you did something. But you didn't ask about the condition of the house, why they're painting, what their concerns are. You didn't prep them about a price range in that the neighborhood. Timeline. Timeline, when we could get to it, when we can't get to it. You know, you didn't talk about the both homeowners, right? So even also, in situations. So oh, in this in this example that I'm thinking about, this is a client he had a few um, franchise locations. So he he got a call center, right? Thinking this was the right way to go. And uh, I don't know how much you know about Canadian geography, but um, uh, <laughs> he's like, he, he this customer calls in and it's a, it's a B2B, business to business client. So his business client calls into the call center. Like, hey, I'm looking to get a... Um, uh, you know, whatever painted my, the outside of my building painted. It's like, here's my address. And she goes, Oh, what city is that in? And he's like, well, it's in Calgary. Cause, cause the, you're located in Calgary. He's like, oh, okay. Calgary. How do you spell that? <laughs> <laughs> Calgary's like a oh, city of no. like three, four million people. And, uh, there's someone that just had no idea. And so like your credibility is just gone an instant. You will never do work for that customer. Right. You might as well not even go to that appointment, right? No. Yeah. So here's the one thing I'll coach. If you are really committed to that type of approach or they let's say they schedule online because that's a big thing now, right? It's really convenient. You have your whatever link online. You click and you schedule the appointment. So great. The salesperson who's going to the appointment still needs to do a pre-call if someone else scheduled it. Like, you know, ideally the salesperson setting their own schedule. It's great. It's all smooth. But if you're committed to approach where there's customers getting scheduled some other way, the salesperson who is going to be there and make that connection still has to do a pre-call. Super low hanging fruit. Every single business can implement this today and watch your close rate go up 10 to 20% like overnight. Because the other thing, it will then also weed out the appointments that there's no point in going to. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I need one board painted. Oh, okay. We have a minimum of $500 for our projects. Okay, bye. Instead of you spending two hours in traffic at 4 p.m. to get over to this lady's house to find out she needs $20 worth of work that you're not going to want to do for anything less than 500. Yeah, another one is timeline, right? So what's your timeline on this project? It's like, oh, we're not thinking about getting anything done until like next year. Or, or okay, when I come to your home, I'm going to be looking to like, I'll give you exact price and then to book in is 20%. If you feel that you can trust us and the price is fair, are you going to be ready to, to book a time in our schedule? So, oh, no, 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 we're just price shopping. Or, oh, we're getting 17 quotes. So, okay, well, I don't just come to do an estimate. I'll come to, like, book my, book a job. So when you're a little bit closer to being ready, give us a call and we'll come by. Mm-hmm. It's one of the hardest parts for um, beginning salespeople to internalize. You don't have to chase every little thing because it's a waste of your time. It's way better to do 10 impeccable appointments with both homeowners there than to do 20 mediocre appointments. 
you know, your value per hour and your end result, you'll be able to go in with each one with more energy, more confidence that you're actually going to book it instead of, you know, going into all these like half-baked estimates. Well, and like the excitement, right? You know, plus, yeah, like energy is huge. Yeah. So what other low-hanging fruit do we have? We well, I talked about both homeowners, pre-call, um, and, you know, this is really silly, uh, but it goes, you know, as part of the process. The last thing that I'll say, and I'm sure you've seen this over the years, especially when, when you're transitioning, let's say you're an owner and you're pretty good at sales and you're, you've got a pretty good grasp of everything and you've been working with your team, you know, with your business for a while and you're bringing on some salespeople. The number one thing that salespeople screw up when they're out in the field by themselves is asking for the job. Right. You're talking about like unwritten, shouldn't have yep. to say this. Right. But like if you're talking about growing and scaling, that's one thing you have to make sure your people always do is that they actually ask for the job. All right, Mike. You should have back up one step because you need to be presenting the price, presenting the proposal to the client at the time of the estimate. Go to your vehicle, write it up, print it out or show it on your iPad, come back in, present it to both homeowners and then ask for the job. Right. No more texting yes. the price once you get home. Yeah, exactly. In person. You're presenting to both homeowners. And again, you know, five, three to 5% of the time, you won't be able to do it, right? But 95 to 97% of the time, especially in paint, you should be able to, you know, go out, get the price, present to both homeowners. Yeah. You know, it's a little trickier it's getting into commercial, but it's the same idea. You got to get in front of the decision maker. Don't give it to the front desk lady who's going to email it up the chain three levels. Get up the chain three levels yourself to that director, that project manager, whoever, and you present to them. Yep. Only way. So what's your, what's your go-to closing phrase for the homeowner? I'm pretty straightforward, man. I would just be something like this. Like, uh, all right, I'll give you two a really simple one that builds people's confidence is the rolling. Yes. Okay. So, all right, Mike, um, you know, we've been here for about an hour, hour and a half. I feel like I really understood what you're looking for. Uh, in terms of the quote that we've reviewed here, did I include everything that you're looking for? Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. And based on the, you know, the examples of the work I've shown and the technical knowledge that I've, I've given you, do you feel confident in me and my team to do a great job? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Awesome. So one last question for you, million dollar question, if you will, would you guys like to get on the schedule? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So that's a great one for beginners that rolling. Yes. Kind of builds the momentum. They're feeling good. Like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> So that's a really good one. Um, for me personally, a lot of times I'll just get right to it. Like, all right, Mike. So, you know, I think I know what you want. seems like we have a great connection. You ready to get on the schedule? Yeah, that or, works too. Or you can even be a little more assumptive if you have a great relationship. You can go, all right, Mike, when would you like to schedule? Thinking like March or more like April? Yeah, just right into it. Um, one strategy that I've been um, playing with more recently is just selling the deposit. Right. So it's like, all right, the price of the job is $8,000. We take a 20% deposit to get you um, locked in. That's $2,400 or $1,600. Here we go. $1,600 uh, due today. Uh, how would you like to handle that? Yeah. Love it. That assumptive, right? That could be a little tricky for like beginning salespeople. You know, again, tying back to like the growth and the scaling. That's something that you and I feel really comfortable with. You know, maybe they need to get some sales under their belt before they get to that kind of assumptive level, but it's a great tactic. So let's keep going down this path of, of, of building and then scaling a sales team. So number one is figure out 
your fundamentals, right? The next we have two, we have two other main skills. We have pricing knowledge and we have the sales skill. So let's go on pricing knowledge. How do you systemize your pricing so that it's consistent across the board and then relay that pricing knowledge to a new sales rep? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, as owners, right? We have ways that we bid these projects. Um, honestly, I've gotten away personally in the paint space. I've gotten away from like price per square foot or things of that nature. And I've gone more to like a, a cost plus model where, uh, and that's something I could do as a, someone who's a little more experienced, maybe a front a beginning salesperson wouldn't necessarily have like the, uh, knowledge for that, but it's like, all right, it's going to be this much in labor approximately this much in paint. So here's the total cost for the job divide by the margin percentage. And there's the cost, right? That's the simplest, um, but it does require a little bit more knowledge of like, how much is it going to take to paint the, you know, is it going to cost us a thousand dollars? Is it going to cost us 2000? Um, you know, I'd say in terms of like scaling, you know, rules of thumb are really great. Um, price per square foot is pretty common in a lot of construction, not just painting. Uh, you know, Painting's a little bit different than something like roofing, right? Because roofing is pretty straightforward. You measure it out, you account for a couple things, you're done. Paint's going to have a lot of special conditions, right? Siding. You say, okay, we're going to paint the siding. Well, do you have nice wide horizontal boards, right? Or do you have little vertical channels that are going to take forever to spray each side of the channel? So, you know, developing some sort of pricing sheet for those things. Uh, big picture, right? Like how much prep, how much body, how much trim, how many accents, Right. You got those four things on all four sides, giving your people something like that where they can practice. And obviously you go start them on the easier ones, build up from there. But, you know, honestly, I found the biggest way or easiest way to learn pricing knowledge as a salesperson is to be out there in the market competing. Because you're going to say, all right, well, I bid it for this and these other guys bid it for that. You know, they're either higher or lower or same. And their lower their quality is either higher or lower or same so you can kind of triangulate a little bit that way too you know if your price is the same as the guy that doesn't have any license or bond and he's getting you know illegal immigrants to work for him that he picked up at the hardware store like you're probably not charging enough <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> so or you know you're out there in the market and you're you know your quality is here and the other top quality guys there, and you're like right at the same price, man, I feel pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, how would you recommend paying a sales rep? Like what type of con like there's a million different comp models that you could structure. You said you, you ideally want someone who's a hundred percent commission, hundred percent commission. Um, company pays for all expenses, right? Okay. You know? Uh, so if they have real expenses to get to and from work, but yeah, commission, you want them hungry. And ideally tiers, right? It's like, all right, you get 8% um, of every job. And if we hit our profit margin, you get another 2 to 4%. Okay. Right? Or bonuses, right? Like once you've booked this much work. So one thing that's a little tricky is the profitability, right? When you're talking about sales professionals, booking jobs that someone else is going to produce on someone else's dime, I usually like to tie some sort of incentive around the job actually being produced profitably. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. in a worst case scenario, right, you could have someone come in, underbid everything, get a ton of bookings, you know, try to get paid a bunch of uh, commission in advance. And then, you know, yeah. the company loses its, its shirt on all those projects. Right. So there has to be, you know, a little bit of um, 
something about the profitability of the job. You know, if you're going to pay 10% total commission, you pay 6% no matter what, and the other 4% if the job's profitable, something like that. There's a cool way that I heard the other day uh, on a previous podcast, actually, with um, with Brad. Uh, the way he pays his sales reps is just simply 20% of gross margin. Nice. And then if it's below 35% gross margin, they don't get anything. Sure. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. Only issue with that is there's just like a cash flow cycle for the sales rep. So there'll be a couple of months where they just don't earn anything because they got to wait for the jobs to be produced. But as long as you can get over that hump, then I think it'd be pretty good. Pretty yeah. good relationship. Some sort of like advance, you know, or you, yeah. you know, check the job. Or just you know, give them yeah. some training salary for a couple of months. Yep. That's totally fine. I think that's a very worthwhile investment, honestly. Yep. I'm talking like once they're trained, you know, and the jobs are coming in. So finding someone who's willing to work 100% commission is obviously important. Who are we looking for when it, when it comes time to bring in? Actually, before, who are we looking for? When do we know that we're ready to bring on a sales rep? Mm, that's a great question. I think a lot of people have it backwards. I think they want to just get sales reps in so they, quote unquote, don't have to do sales anymore. Right? But you should really honestly look at to get to our business goals, how many sales appointments need to happen? And can I do all those sales appointments with all my other responsibilities? Based on our average job size and closing rates. Exactly. Based on the data. Because like for me in my construction business that I still run on the side, I just do all the sales because my team, my production team is pretty dialed in. They don't really need a lot from me. Um, so it depends so, what you like to do, right? Some some guys want to be in that production management role and, and offload sales. Some people want to be in a sales role and offload production management. Some people yeah, want to If do you're matter. spending all day on job sites and you don't have any time to do 10 appointments or 20 appointments that need to happen, right? So I would say based on the data, a lot of problems in construction and in other walks of life, people set these goals based on feelings. We're going to do 2.5 million this year. Why? Because it's a round number and it sounds big and it's like, you're not emotionally connected to that. You don't have a real plan for that. Right. So for me, it's, you know, at what you point 200,000 this year, <laughs> right? Exactly. You're like here and you want to go there and yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Right. But so what the, when really should be based on when the sales, when someone needs to be doing the sales appointments and you can't be, mm -hmm. and you know, maybe that's pretty soon or maybe that's never. Yeah. So how many sales appointments would you, like to see a sales rep doing on average per week eight to ten really really good ones 12 on a busy week okay so yeah. like two to three a day max yeah like and i'm talking like hour and a half two hours plus drive time plus call time right like yep. i worked for the company in vancouver actually um great painting company really solid fundamentals but their sales process was all wonky. Their guys were doing 15 to 20 estimates a week, 25 estimates a week. They'd show up for 30 minutes, get some measurements, emailing bids, like just doing it all wrong and working so hard at it. Right? Like, yeah. you know, if you're trying to close 50% plus, which absolutely you can do in the residential market, 50 to 60% plus, you have to slow down. It's like, would you rather do 20 estimates and close? 20% of them or would you rather do 10 estimates and close 50% of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we kind of have our numbers. So if you have a business where you're doing that, you know, 
10 to 20 estimates a week right now and it's consistent and you know how to kind of throttle that up, then you could start thinking about bringing on a sales rep. Yep. How about quota? If you have a process that you can teach them. Yeah, exactly. I would, the process. Figure out the process first. Don't figure out the process while you're teaching them. True. Then you're wasting everyone's time, including your own. What type of quota do you like to see sales reps hit in the painting business? Um, it depends on average job size, right? So, and that's going to depend on market. In my market these days, average paint jobs probably around seven to ten grand. That's mostly exterior, right? Yeah, mostly exterior, interior too, though. Okay, I and mean, there can be good, can be good money in interior if you bid yeah. it right. Exterior so is easier. Sorry, what? So eight k on average. Let's call it eight k. Okay. And then, so if you're getting ten percent of that, it's like eight hundred bucks. So. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, you probably want to be booking at least two or three jobs a week, realistically, yeah. right? So let's call it two and a half jobs a week times probably 40 to 45 weeks. So eight times 8,000 times two and a half. So like, it's like 800, 800 to 900K. Yeah. A million's, a million's a lot for paint. Mm -hmm. A million's a lot. If you can get to a million, good for you. You know, you yeah. probably closing a few big jobs to close the gap, but like 800, seven, eight, 900,000 a year. If you're working consistent every week, it's very doable. Yeah. And then you're paying them 10%. So they're making, you know, 90 to hundred K pretty right. good job. And there's some bonuses in there too. It doesn't have to be flat 10%. If they're number, your number one salesperson and they close $900,000 worth of work for you. I mean, you can throw them a little bit of extra money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now let's talk about who you should hire. Who are you looking for? So do you have a specific framework of the type of guy or girl that you like to be a sales rep? Or do you, do you have any strategies like hiring interior designers or anything? Just like walk me through who you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sales reps specifically, I mean, past performance is the best indicator of future performance. Everyone sounds good in an interview. Everyone's turning a new leaf and they're ready for a change and they're going to be better than they've ever been. Right. So I look for people that have done things in the past that show that they're self-starters, that they're tenacious self-starters. How you know? would you ask a question to, to, to uncover that? Yeah. Tell me about a time in your life, either personal or professional, where you had to show a lot of initiative to create something. Tell me about a time in your life where um, you had to set a goal and work hard over time to reach it. And what steps went into that goal, et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, well, you know, I had this goal to open up my um, karate class to more people. And it took us two years, but now we have a whole new age group for karate class or whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be work specific, right? So would you say that, um, like, tenacity would be one of the most important skills to interview for? Yeah, so self-starting or, um, you know, can work hard on their own without someone over their shoulder. And then, you know, that tenacity to not quit. Because we all know that sales is going to be like this, right? And so you need people that know when they're on this downslope, like, hey, it's okay. I'm going to keep working at it. And, you know, the results will come back. So here's the, in one of our, this is a, a training we're just redoing right now. Um but you're going to recognize some of these terms. I never share a screen on a podcast because it's always uh, typically audio only. Um, but these are 
uh, seven skills, I guess, plus one, eight skills that you can traits that you can interview for. So instrumental abilities, attainment, leadership, precision, tenacity, introspection, and values. Um, so out of these are obviously all important, but when you're bringing on a sales rep, like what do you feel is, what would be like the top two or three that you would really want to see, say, see that would be uh, deal breakers if your sales rep didn't have? Yeah, attainment and tenacity. So attainment, as you've defined it here, a need or preference to set goals and then achieve them, right? Like uh, sales is very much about going out, making it happen, setting a goal, putting in the work. You have to have people that have goals. And it, they can have goals in their personal life that they're working towards too, right? Like someone who's like, hey, I'm, I'm saving up to buy a house and I need to make X amount of money for the down payment in two years or next year or whatever, right? Those are driven people that have clear goals they're working towards that are going to see the value of basically an uncapped potential, right? Do you think that there's a connection uh, between someone who takes care of themselves, like goes to the gym and uh, like eats healthy and their ability to sell well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this part of, uh, you know, we haven't talked about my, my sales course yet, but um, that's one of the things we teach at the very beginning of the sales course is self-care. And I'd say that's kind of like part of attainment, right? You know, like what, like someone who is putting in the time and energy on their body, working towards something, right? A certain level of lifestyle, certain health, uh, a certain body fat or whatever, a certain diet that makes them feel better. You know, that's all part of attainment, I think. That's a, that's a real life example of someone working consistently on a goal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the other one you said is tenacity. So completes tasks and is persistent until all loose ends are wrapped up. Yeah. You got to fight for it. Sales is hard. It's competition, man. It's competition, especially when you get out in the field. It's not just you. It's not just, here's where people really screw it up in sales and all sales, like car salesmen are like this, right? It's not the competition between you and the customer. It's competition between you and the other sales professionals that are all trying to earn this business, right? There's going to be times where you thought you for sure were going to land a job. You had a great connection. The price was in their budget. It's a home run. You're definitely going to book it. And they call you and they're like, oh, really sorry. We went with this other guy or girl. Whatever. Yep. Right? There's going to be times when like you just don't have any leads. And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get to my goal this week because I don't even have any leads. So what am I doing, right? Like you have to be willing to fight through that. Yeah. And the people that are get to reap the rewards, you know, of sales. What kind of interview questions would you use to test for tenacity? Oh, I'm all about the positive, negative, double examples. So I'll say, and I'm interviewing someone and we're talking about tenacity. I'll be like, all right, tell me about it. And I prep usually ahead of the time. You have to prep on this because people never want to tell you the bad ones. So I have to say, hey, I'm going to ask you a series of things. I'm going to ask you for positive and negative examples on both. Right. And so, and tenacity, be like, all right, tell me about a time that you had something that was really important to you or some goal that was really important to you that you were working really hard on and bad things happened, got in the way, unexpected struggles, and you had to fight through and you, and you still got there. Right. And they're like, oh, well, this one time, you know, they're all excited to tell you. Right. And then it's like, all right, cool. Now, same question, flip side. Tell me about a time there was something that was really important to you that you were working on. Things came up, stuff happened, and you didn't make it. You didn't hit the goal. You didn't achieve the whatever. Yeah. What happened? Why? What did you learn? That will tell you a lot more about a person 
than, oh, well, you know, everything's hunky-dory and I'm really great. Woohoo! hire me. Because, hey, they have to be honest enough to even share that with you. All right? If someone's like, oh, I can't think of a time. I'm like, all right, next. Right? <laughs> you know? It's like I was interviewing this one, this one painter once, and I was like, tell me, um, he's a student, and he wanted to apply for my painting business to learn how to paint. And um, I was like, tell me about the time that you had to work the hardest in your life. And he's like, oh, this one time I had to put in a 10-hour shift at Sobeys. <laughs> the horror. Like, yeah, I was like, well, next. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, I think that when you're talking about interview and you're building your team, and that's really for all aspects of your business, not just the sales team, right? I like to get into like, tell me about a time it worked and a time it didn't. And you'll learn a lot about it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I haven't heard it done that way before, but um, yeah, especially if you start with the one that worked, you know, flesh that example out, then hopefully that gets them thinking about a time that it didn't and you can learn a lot about them. Do you ever use personality tests or anything like that? Not personally. I know a lot of people like to. Um, yeah. I send me like, again, past performance is the best indicator of future performance. Yeah. So I think that's really good when it comes a good start when it comes to actually bringing on the sales rep. How about when it comes to training and then ongoing management? Like, let's actually just go first on training. How would you onboard and get someone up to speed? Like, how long should this take? And what would the associated tasks be? Sure. So one thing that a lot of people miss on, again, this is across all industries, but we're talking about building your sales team or, or your production team is a true actual onboard meeting. Like think about all the times you've had jobs, you've gotten paid for things. How many times are they like, all right, come in, sign your tax forms. Great. You're starting on Monday. See you then. Welcome to the team. Right. That's like a yeah. very standard. Like when I first got my very first dishwashing job at 16 years old, that's what it was. Right. It was like, Hey, cool. You're on the team. Make sure your butt's here at your first shift. Good luck. All right. Uh, and then there might be some, quote unquote training at that time. That's fine. But true onboarding meeting for me, especially if you're like a business owner and you're trying to build your brand and you're trying to bring on the right people that are rock stars that are going to be there. It should be like a one to two hour meeting, right? Where like, okay, yeah, you get all the paperwork done. You sign the tax forms and this is your compensation and company policy, da, 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 sign in here. But also like, okay, like, let's really get into like, we talked in the interview process about your goals. Like, what are your bills? What are your big picture financial dreams? How much money do you need to make? What is that going to look like with our company, you know, metrics for you to get $100,000 this year? Like, okay, you've got $50,000 in bills and $30,000 in like honeymoon and new car, right? And then another 20 grand in taxes. So you, new recruit, you have just told me in a very true and honest and vulnerable way that you need to make $100,000 this year. Great. Here's our average job size. Here's our average close rate. Here's how much you get paid. This is how many jobs you need to book to make, to be on that track for that. Well, let's get into that, right? So you really like, you know why, what their why is. You can share with them a bit about your why, right? Like, why are you running a painting business? What What's important to you? Is it Basically so that you can get Toronto Maple Leaf tickets, season tickets every year, and you have to make sure you have enough money to get your season ticket, like, you know, what, what is it, right? So not assuming that they're going to be completely internally motivated to grind through even because, you know, they're, they're going to have really tough days, tough weeks, maybe even tough months. So having that 
knowing what their um, their needs are and what their goals are can help you kind of motivate them through those down periods. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like an essential part of high level leadership. And the opportunity for that is like, all right, the interview is done. Combat is over. We are on the same team now. Let's connect. Yeah. Also, do you like my uh, my child tattoo I got on there? It looks like I'm part of a gang, but yeah, yeah, I got kids too. Don't worry, temporary ones. Um, my yeah. girl was giving me face paint last week, so yeah, I've avoided the toenail painting so far, but she's trying hard. <laughs> okay. So then we do solid onboarding. We do some uh, buddy estimates, get them selling well. Um, how about ongoing management? What does that look like once they're trained up? How do you continue to keep a pulse on them and make sure they don't just feel like they're a lone wolf? Sure. Two things that the vast majority of companies really drop the ball on. Weekly meeting, same time, every week. I mean, unless someone's on like vacation, right? You know, but like, for the 46 to 48 weeks a year where everything's normal, you know, you have a meeting with the, the manager of the salesperson, whether that's you as the uh, owner of the company or you have a sales manager, whoever it is, meets with the frontline sales professional, same time, every week, check in. How did last week go? What's the plan for this week? How's it all tie into the big picture, right? Um, and then regular field coaching. You know, if you only have two or three reps, those people should be getting coached like every week or every other week. I mean, really you should be doing regular field coaching with someone until their close rate is like 75%. I think that point I give people here have one or are aspiring to hire one. Great. Then it's super easy for you to make the time to coach one person (laughs) once a week. Yeah. At worst every other week. Like there's so many benefits to that, right? You develop your relationship. They're so bought in. They feel so supported. You're constantly building their skill, right? Because when you're coaching, you can only really improve one to two things at a time. So if someone has like 17 things they need to work on in your sales process, that's going to be like 17 to 20 coaching sessions to get all of those. If you're an amazing coach and they pick up everything you're saying on the first try, (laughs) Which, of course, is is completely true and possible. Right, yeah. So in the real world, you need to be coaching these people all year round. Or yeah. someone needs to be coaching these people all year round. So like one or two buddy estimates a week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At worst, especially with a small team, at worst, it should be one every other week. At worst. Okay. And it, it sounds like, oh my God, how am I going to do? It's like, think about the the difference here let's say you bring on a salesperson and they're closing at 20 percent or 25 percent, and you're paying for all these leads and you're paying for all this stuff and they're not getting that much success so you're taking a hit financially because you're spending money market spend and it's not getting roi plus this person's not making enough money so they're probably going to quit because they're not making enough money and then you're going to have to go through the whole process all over again right how much time and money does that take Versus you coach them once a week or once every other week. After a few months, they're closing 40, 45, 50%. They're happy. They're making great money. You're making great money as a business. I mean, it's. You don't want turnover with the sales rep. Like that's a ton of time. You know, we talk a lot about value per um, your hourly tasks, right? And training a sales rep, like we like sales itself. If you're doing your sales, that's like a $500 an hour task. That's one of the most profitable things you can do in your business. But training a sales rep, like add two zeros to that, right? 
right? Like real concerted training. If you're doing that, like, wouldn't you want to make 5,000 yeah. <laughs> an hour for, I mean, like, holy cow, right? Well, if you can, if you can adjust every time you do that, you know, your sales reps close rate by 1%, right? Over 200 estimates in a year, like that's what another two jobs every time you increase that by, <laughs> by 1%, Seriously. right? 16,000. There you go. Yeah. And if they don't say you're making 15 to 20% gross margin at the end of the day, after all your expenses, so 16 grand, you know, it's 3,200 bucks. It's like 25 to 3,200 bucks. Every yeah. time you can get your salesperson to get net there. Margin, yeah. Yeah. Net margin, pardon me. I said gross, but you're right. Yeah. I meant net. Thank you. Um, just did a yeah. financial training yesterday internally. So it's all fresh. <laughs> I want to, yeah. Don't want to confuse anybody. Uh, but yeah, so that's huge, right? And and we as humans have a tendency to be like, oh, they're good. They don't need me. Yeah. And that's wrong. And that's what we have to challenge ourselves as leaders and business owners to be above that. And to do the hard thing, right? It's not always comfortable. It's not, it takes energy or it's tiring. You might, they might not absolutely need you, but it would definitely help. So like convince, forcing yourself to do those hard things, like it can, it's hard, but mm -hmm. it's so worth it. Absolutely. And, you know, especially when your sales team, like one, two three even five right i mean like five plus to probably get a sales manager or like yeah, yeah. one of the sales professionals will be kind of a semi-manager but like like one to four salespeople, you can be you set it up you put it in your block schedule right you know thursday afternoons wednesday afternoons and thursday afternoons i do sales training every week boom done yep. easy or whatever it is right just keep it consistent yep it's just part of your schedule you know you have your monday blocks of meetings you have your Wednesday, Thursday training of sales professionals, whatever, right? Yeah. Every morning you're on job site. Just systemize it, man. Well, man, we got to do this again because I feel like we're just touching the surface of, of sales and I feel like we could go for hours, but we are kind of getting at time here. Um, so you do some sales training as well. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So i uh, been doing, like I said, residential sales for the better part of almost 20 years now. And um, I had a different company a couple years back asked me to crystallize everything and put it into a course. So we created the Residential Sales Accelerator. Uh, we were hosting it as part of a suite of other programs, and we're actually breaking it out onto our own. So through Wolf & Wolf Consulting, where the Residential Sales Accelerator takes you through all aspects of residential sales, from how to be to what the sales professional should do for prospecting, you know, at the company level, but then at the sales professional level. The actual sales process, we have a little tool we call the sales compass, right? To guide you through the storm when you're in there with the client. Um, sales professionals' responsibility during production and how you can like work for referrals and get those easy leads. And we even have a whole uh, phase about like sales management as well. So it's really literally everything about residential construction sales. Uh, painting awesome. was my first love, as you know. So there's a lot of painting specific stuff in there as well. And so I you can get give, you me a, give me a link and I can put it in the description. People can check it out. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll probably run like a little, little promotion. Anyone what's, coming from what's the, what's the price point? So it's about a thousand bucks a month, just under a thousand bucks a month um, for up to three logins. Okay. And it's so, just ongoing for ongoing coaching and training and stuff like that. Yeah. So we have the course itself, which you should take in small bites. Uh, and then we have weekly coaching and all that to really crystallize. So Wicked. you think a thousand bucks a month, you're going to make that back on one sale, right? Like it's pays for itself so many times over. Yeah. Well, there you go, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on today, dude. Got, definitely have to have you back. And uh, we'll put the link to learn more about that below. And uh, yeah, hook the people up with a little bit of a deal. You know, yeah, you gotta. Absolutely. For an old friend, I can do that. Yeah. 
All right, Chris. Well, it's great chatting with you, man. Um, again, I wish we could keep going for another hour, but um, but uh, we got to go. So you have a great one and can't wait to have you on again. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. If you want to grow your painting business, go to www.paintergrowth.com or click on the top link in the description. Talk soon.